0: This week, I'm talking with Noel Mifsud, former Antarctic Base Commander and Principal of Christian Brothers College in Adelaide since 1993. Noel's career is a rich and colorful one, including time as Station Leader at Casey Station, Antarctica, Captain in the Australian Defence Force Army Reserve Training Command, and Principal of Xavier Community Education Centre in the Northern Territory. Whilst in the Northern Territory, Noel was meritoriously mentioned in Parliamentary Hansard, awarded the runner-up in the NT Manager of the Year Awards, and accorded with the Northern Territory Chief Minister's bravery citation. His extensive global education experience across every continent includes keynote speaker and presenter at education forums in Australia, India, the Philippines, and China. Noel is a Knight of the Sovereign Order of Malta, a Justice of the Peace for over 20 years and a former marriage civil celebrant and Deputy Coroner for the ACT, a title which is bestowed on Antarctic Station leaders. The Coroner's position, not the marriage celebrant. It was a great opportunity to chat with Noel who is a principal who really lives life to the fullest and seeks out new and valuable experiences for himself his staff and his students to ensure they keep growing within themselves and their communities. Today I'm talking with Noel Mifsud from Christian Brothers College, Adelaide. And he's had a variety of different experiences over the years and is now principal of the college. Welcome today, Noel. Thanks, David. Thanks very much. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of your experience in education, how you developed your teaching skills over the years, and what brought you ultimately here?
1: I've been in education now for around 33 years, so quite a long time in in education, but uh, if you consider life, I think life's an education. So uh, there's a a saying that, we brought a teacher from the moment a question leapt from the mouth of a child and I've always been curious and I've always loved life with a, a deep passion. So I ended teaching as a young 20-odd year old in an all-girls school, very, very auspicious start. I was uh, 20 in an all-girls private school teaching PE and uh, that was interesting and exciting <laughs> and uh, my boss was a, a very elderly nun who was uh, just deeply passionate about education and uh, watched me like a hawk. She would be... Um, outside every classroom that I taught, but I, I grew to love that lady, and uh, she, she had a great lo- uh, love of life and a great passion for teaching. And it's carried me through. I've, I've always loved teaching. I've always loved education. I moved from all girls to all boys' schools, and uh, that was a good move in itself. Uh, boys learn very differently. They're very visual learners. Um, and I really enjoyed that mode of learning, scaffolding work for the boys so that they would understand it. Seeing that moment, that aha moment when you, when you break open a concept and, and just bringing things alive. I, I taught uh, physical education, which all, you know, all the guys loved. I taught English and uh, how do you break open Shakespeare to, uh, to boys that are 14 and 13? So it's about just making it come alive and drawing relevance to their, to their lives uh, and that's what I do with teaching, I, I, modus operandi I feel like is telling stories and I love to break open meaning and to, to break open concepts by just telling stories. I've had a pretty rich and varied life and that, that's certainly helped me in my teaching career.
0: When we first chatted I found out about uh, you'd been down in Antarctica and that uh, can you share that story with us? How you ended up down there and, and a little bit about the experience itself?
1: I'm going to backtrack because what, what happened was a um, very comfortable teaching in, in an all-boys school in, in suburban Adelaide, South Australia, uh, and then uh, I was doing some work with running boxing, a boxing gym for Indigenous street kids, of, of all things, here in Adelaide. And I got a call from the Northern Territory saying, ''Would you like to come and, and do similar work up there?'' And I said, look, I, I'd, I'd love to, but uh, I don't know anything about it. And they, I said, I'm a teacher. And they said, we can get you a teaching job. So I moved to the Northern Territory. This is a bit of a long story. <laughs> I'll try and make it as short as possible. Move That's to the okay. Northern Territory. And then uh, when I was in the Territory, I found out that traveling back from the Northern Territory to, uh, to Adelaide, my hometown, was pretty expensive. So it was much cheaper to go to Bali and in Indonesia and overseas. So that started my love of uh, travel. I, I, so I took a trip to uh, the Himalayas and I did uh, Annapurna Mountain Range in my 20s. I did a solo trek in winter uh, up through to uh, Hinku Base Camp and up through uh, the Himalayas. And as I was coming back down through the mountains, uh, I was just thinking, life just doesn't get any better than this. So I finished that expedition, jumped on a plane, met some Canadians who passed me the weekend Australian, and there was this great big ad saying, wanted base commanders for the South Pole. And I thought, I've just been on one amazing adventure, why not? <laughs> so, uh, long. Uh, it was a long process. Uh, there was an interview, there was a, a, a medical with uh, the Australian uh, military, uh, there was a psych testing, then there was a, a six-day selection workshop in Canberra, and was successful. I uh, was the youngest ever base commander. I was 28, 27 at the time that I applied I to go to, uh, I wasn't sure what station I was going to go to. So for the next six months I embarked on just an amazing uh, array of training ex- experiences. So I fought fires with the Tassie Fire Brigade. I did uh, surgery in Royal Hobart Hospital. I learned protocol in Canberra, everything for forklift, truck driving, a whole range of courses. And at the end of that six months the Australian Antarctic Division had a look at me and said, okay, uh, we're going to send you to the South Pole. And Casey Station was what I was given, which was fantastic because we had the choice of Macquarie Island, which is sub-Antarctic, or the three Antarctic stations, Mawson, Davis and Casey. It was an amazing year. It was 1992 and a little bit of 93 that I was there as the base commander, leading about 110 people during the summer. And in winter, a very small corps of uh, about 18 scientists and support personnel. So our, our, ostensibly our work was drilling deep ice core samples and uh, analysing those and sending those back to Australia when we could in the summer months. Remember this is 1992, no computers, we were still tele, yeah. uh, using telegrams, very uh, limited communication, no GPS, all the things we take for granted. Yeah. There was no um, air station as there is now, a, a runway sorry, uh, as there is now, so we were locked in there for, for nine months And the training that I had had to carry me through. And remember, I was a a neophyte, a first-timer in the South Pole, and I had to lead with confidence. I had had a teaching background, which prepared me in some ways. Um, How does it prepare you? Uh, Teaching builds your confidence. Teaching makes you... uh, Sure of yourself. Teaching gives you a, a passion for life, I think, and a passion for uh, making the most out of life because that's what we do with our students. We say uh, we want you to, to reach amazing potential and to, to dream big. I am from a family of nine kids and uh, we're pretty poor background, so. As a young boy, I never would have dreamed that I'd be in the South Pole, and later on I'll talk about just how that South Pole experience has motivated me to sort of say to our students that you can do absolutely anything in life, no matter yeah. wh- your, your learning abilities, no matter what life throws at you, you can do amazing things. Mm. So there we were for um, 12 months in the South Pole. Um, a lot of my work was in the in the interior, so I would travel by quad motorbike or uh, these haglings, these articulated vehicles about 300 kilometres inland. We were uh, sleeping in tents for some of that experience. And it was a fascinating experience. The wildlife is just to die for. And we were in zodiac boats in the summer months and minke whales were swimming around us. Uh, there were emperor penguins and Weddell seals and the, the wildlife is just uh, absolutely, absolutely pro- prolific. And it's an exciting time. And you're dealing with a whole array of people. So for example, the scientists would say to you, you would give them an instruction or give them some guidance and they'd just totally ignore you because their mind was on their scientific work. The tradesmen that were there, you gave them an instruction, they followed it to the T. They didn't want any collaboration, any any discussion. They just said, tell us what to do and we'll do it. Uh, whereas the professionals, the, the uh, doctor on base and those that were uh, doing uh, the artists and the writers whatever they wanted to debate everything and talk about everything and explore everything and I mean that's what we've got in our classrooms we've got yeah. that vast array of personalities uh, as well so the South Pole is just an awesome experience and you never knew what was going to come next you you walk and you can hear your footsteps you can hear yourself breathe you look up at the sky and there's a, an aurora australis just changing colors in front of you and you're alone and you're resilient and It's just an amazing experience. And you taste life and you say that life has to be tasted and just explored to the fullest. So how do you take an experience like that and it not uh, shake you and move you? And incidentally, I went straight from the South Pole to a principal ship back into the Northern Territory in a remote Aboriginal island in Tewi Islands, about 100 kilometres north of Darwin. Uh, And what did I take from the South Pole? You take a a resiliency that you can do anything in life, that, that nothing is impossible you take a sense of accomplishment, that no matter what you do, you do it to the best of your ability and you just savour that success. And you just you just think yourself lucky that you've been given amazing opportunities in life, but you've got to go and find them and you've got to go and, and make the most of it. When I applied for the Antarctic job, I had a number of friends and family members saying, you're not gonna get it, you're too young. It's too, too left field, you've got no experience and I was just, I, I said I'm going to try it and even if I don't succeed at least I know uh, hand on heart that I've tried it. And that's really important to just to, to sometimes listen to your own voice before you listen to other people's voices and it's kind of guided my life um, throughout. It's funny you know I visit schools and I give a lot of talks about Antarctica and I remember when uh, I'd go to primary schools and I'd show them photos of, of seals and penguins and uh the children in the classrooms would say what do they eat what do the penguins and seals and whales eat and you'd tell them and when i was in aboriginal communities visiting aboriginal communities and and sharing the stories i'd show them pictures of whales and seals and they'd say what do they taste like (laughs) so you know just that (laughs) different different cultural nuance there it's uh yeah yeah, so so what do they taste like (laughs) um Obviously, we were, we were very protective of, uh, of the wildlife. Mm. We, um, it was there that I sort of formulated my ideas on climate change. It's a really interesting topic because they, the hole over the ozone layer is greatest in, in the South Pole. We were led light fires. We took all of our rubbish back with us, all of yeah. our human waste was processed on base and, and taken back. And what you learn is that we really do have to look after our, our planet. This is the last frontier that's untouched. And even that's not untouched now. We've got mm. tourism. We, we know about the whaling that's happening uh, in international waters. Um, so we've got to look after our earth, got to look after our planet. And the, the South Pole is our last vestige of, of untouched uh, territory. But as I said, that's now changing.
0: That's probably one of the biggest challenges that our next generations are going to face is dealing with, dealing with waste, dealing with climate change, dealing with the lack of power, also certainly the, the need for electricity but clean electricity so yeah huge challenges ahead. Even in our curriculum now we're really looking at
1: eco-sustainability as, as a really major part of our studies. so we're looking at precisely those issues and the way we teach now in the when I first started teaching the teacher had the wealth of knowledge and they would stand in the front of the classroom they would deliver and you would have activities that helped to explore what you were teaching completely flipped now in the 21st century so the boys and girls have all that information at their hands they've got uh, technology that will give you that information far quicker than what a teacher could ever yeah. hope to. So we flip the learning. What teachers do is pose problems such as eco-sustainability, and we, we use maths and we use science and we use technology to uh, to break open those issues and say, what can we do? This is our generation to, to make the world a better place. I mean, my generation left the world, we're still in poverty, we still um, got war, we've got climate change issues, we've got diseases that are still yet to be found a cure for. So the challenge for the generation that I teach, I say to the boys, well, this is what our generation have left you what are you going to do to make this world a better place? Mm. It's not all negative, of course, our generation also brought in the ICT revolution and there was, there was yeah. you know, many advances in, in medicine and health. So uh, the, you know the question is there is to say, celebrate, stand on the shoulders of giants of the past generations, but don't stand in their shadows. In other words, what's your generation going to do? And you're not going to do that by sitting at home, by sitting in front of computer games. Yeah, it's all fun and it's all part of the world, but yeah. sometime you're going to have to leave your screen and you're going to have to go out in the real world you're going to have to speak to people in the street. You're going to have to uh, really critically look at who's most at need. And we've got a lot of needs here in Australia. The refugee crisis is shocking. Homelessness is, is at, uh, I think, epidemic proportions at the moment. And we still have issues about uh, equitable sharing of resources. I think some of the issues in the world, and it's going to be water. It's going to be a, a huge issue. The rising sea levels. And, and we've already seen mass migrations of people uh, due to... Um, well, look at uh, what's happening with the Rohingyas in, uh, in Cambodia, the mass movement of people across the globe. Uh, we've, seen that. we've seen that in every school. Where I've got boys that have come from Myanmar who have escaped persecution there, and the world is uh, becoming a much smaller place, if you like, globally. The world is... Our next-door neighbours now are not people who live next door. They, they can be people right across the globe. Yeah. Uh, and soon uh, we'll be, I think, travelling to Antarctica and we'll be travelling to the moon and we're already looking at uh, travelling to Mars, so... How do we make sense of that? And how do we have a world that's right out there and we've got uh, computers and technology, but how do we still move our eyes from the screen, move our eyes from Mars and look at the person right next to us that uh, is lonely or is bullied or is hungry or is a victim of war? So that's the challenges of education. And I don't think that challenge has changed at all. And I don't think kids have changed either. I think we've all had our challenges throughout each successive generation, Yes, we're an affluent generation here in Australia, but not all of us are affluent, and there's still a lot of
0: poverty. There's still a lot of inequity throughout our our, our nation. As a leader, you touched on a really interesting point there with the, the needs of the next generation and what they what they need to do to get away from screens. Whereas technology is amazing. It has come, it has come forward in leaps and bounds and, and provides great opportunities. How as a leader are you working with your students to Say, look, technology is good, but here are all the other social skills that you need. Here are all the other things. How how does that sort of flow into the the program and the work that you do here?
1: Well, at Christian Brothers College here in Adelaide. What we've done is we've conducted three hundred and sixty surveys of our of our community, of our staff, of our parents, of our students, and we said, what's important in education? And one of the, the recurring themes is relationships, and relationships is just critical. Uh, and I guess that's the the message in education: the relationship a teacher has with his students, the relationship the teacher has with the parents, the relationship the students have with their parents. This will all help education. Really, our school supports the values and the education that happens at home. Our parents are the first educators and we're there to, to support them. Now, a lot of our parents are busy. They're, they're working, uh, both, both parents are working. We're seeing a lot more grandparents now that are being more involved in their children's education. So it's, it's about creating relationships. It's about using technology wisely. So we know our parents are busy. We know our grandparents are busy. But what doesn't change is that they want to know what's happening in school. They want to share their students' joys and successes and frustrations and challenges as well. So we use technology. We've got uh, applications like Seesaw that will, uh, in real time, show our, our junior parents what our students are doing in class. So we've got our little five-year-olds that are, are cooking with mushrooms with a, a food school that's coming to the into the classroom, and we're podcasting it or we're, we're um, using Seesaw to uh, to show the parents in real time mm. what they're doing. So. They're there's a father or a grandfather or a mother or an auntie sitting in their office block or at home. Uh, They've got their device and they're sharing in real time what's happening in the classroom. That is powerful stuff. That never happened in our generation. And it's such a powerful metaphor for how education should be. I built a new junior school about eight years ago and in the design I made it all glass so that parents and, and members of the public can walk past and see education happening. Now not everyone can walk past our school so what the device does is bring the classroom into the home. It's a different paradigm now. Teachers are under the spotlight. They're a lot more accountable. They're yeah. uh, they're now performers. They're uh, they're on a stage. People can see them. It calls them to a greater accountability. But it's tough because. The whole eyes of the world are on them and yeah. so it should be we should be accountable in i think as we should be accountable in life we should be accountable in our profession and we should be accountable in teaching but it is a different paradigm to what we used to we used to have our own classrooms with a door <laughs> that, that uh, yeah. would close and then <laughs> that was your own domain uh, it's no longer the case and so technology is a pretty powerful powerful tool we have a portal that's available through, for our school uh, so parents now uh, and students can go online, they can download their assignments, they can see what lessons they've got, see what teachers they've got, see the school policies, the whole world of the school is is on there and in fact we uh, are very keen here at CBC with entrepreneurial studies and I have a, a group of boys who have an office in our front office with their names on the door and their job is to... Um, to work up the uh, virtual classrooms for staff. And it's a business and they're paid. And so uh, this year alone, they've, they've developed 269 virtual classrooms for staff so that uh, a parent can go online or a student can go online or a teacher can go online and can share resources, can download video clips, can uh, see student work, work can be marked online. There's endless possibilities. Yeah. But what's not replaced is that relationship between teacher and student, yeah. student and parent, yeah. teacher and parent. And again, the school and the wider world. So the school is not the only classroom. As I have said, parents is another classroom, but the wider world as well. So our boys will, and we're an all-boys school, will we'll move out of the community. They'll go to the law courts, the museums, they'll, they'll walk in town, they'll visit businesses, and that's their third classroom, if you like.
0: The final point I'd love to cover, and you touched on it before, just talking about the building resilience and the applying for a job that everybody said you won't get, yeah. and you got it. So how do you translate and how do you message that to your students to say, well, you can do things, you can do whatever you like?
1: It's about valuing the, the individual. Now, we, we're a birth to 12 school, so we start from six months of age as our youngest student. And it's about exploring the mind of the child. So in, in our very early years, which is the formative years, we say to children, explore, play, take risks, okay, you're going to fall, you're going to hurt yourself, we're in a very cotton wool world, we're in a very risk... Averse world, and we, we say quite the opposite. We say take risks, but of course measured risks, and yep, we've got yeah. all <laughs> the, the uh, safety precautions and policies, and we've got our procedures. And but we we say take risks, take risks with your learning, and 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 dare to dare to be uh, wild and adventurous, and to dream big, right through from 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 early age all the way through. Um, and it's just such an important concept yeah. in, in life. The world is there, we we now know, research is telling us we're not sure of all the jobs that our boys are going to go into, our students are going to go into when they leave us. So what do we do? We build 21st century learners, resilient, creative thinkers, problem solvers, people that can can look at the world and and try and analyse what what the needs are and come up with a niche market around that so you have a lot of start-up businesses. So how do you prepare students for what is still not out there? And that's the challenge of 21st century. The old didactic measure of teaching where teachers stood up there and delivered the information, that's not going to work anymore. Students now need to be taught to be problem solvers, to be creative, to, to work in, in in groups of people, to work collaboratively. And yet we know that now um, they're not going to be going to offices necessarily, a lot of work is going to happen from the home. So we have to teach people if you're going to be working from home, if you're going to be working individually on a computer then what about fitness and what about health and what about social skills? And what about when you finish work, about your outreach to others? And so a big part of our program here at CBC is not just the uh, studying maths and English and science. It's, it's about integrating all of those. So using science, technology, engineering and maths, the STEM education, and applying those skills and those requirements to, to solve problems uh, in, in the wider world.
0: Thank you very much for sharing that with us that's a that's a really it's a really challenging thing because a lot of organizations don't let the kids take risks in anything as soon as you hear risk management they go oh no we've we've got to stop every every risk and prevent anything but they don't differentiate true risk like dangerous risk versus the risk of making decisions the risk of pushing boundaries the risk that produces the unknown reward it's okay. about stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So we send boys to Vietnam to work in orphanages,
1: well out of their comfort zone. We work mm. with severely yeah. mentally handicapped children, which is confronting for... I've been there, confronting for me as a, an experienced adult. Uh, can imagine what the students are going through? Yeah. We, we have send our children to the Philippines to work with children on the rubbish tips. We, every student at CBC must complete a Duke of Edinburgh award to get out of their comfort zone, to go on a, an adventurous trip, to, uh, to, to do a skill that they've never tried before. So. You can see how we broaden our education offerings uh, here at CBC beyond just the world of the classroom. And what we wanna do is ultimately say to a child, live life and live it to the fullest and dream impossible dreams because they're not impossible. And the challenge is not everyone can go to Antarctica, as we started, but it's about finding your own Antarctica in your life. What is going to be that moment of, that, that moment of grace, that, that moment that's going
0: to define your life? That balancing your life and the social responsibility yeah. that comes with that to others. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I read a book uh, once about an Australian journalist, uh, Neil Davis, and his motto was from Lord Byron, it said, sound the clarion, fill the fife. One crowded hour is worth an age without a name. One crowded hour is worth an age without a name. And that's how I've lived my life. One yeah. crowded hour and, and just uh, just make that uh, the most, make the most of life and, and live it again to the fullest.
0: Thank you for sharing just part of your journey because I'm sure there's far more to come. There's a lot, lots more to come. <laughs> okay. Excellent, thank Thanks, you very David. much, Noel. Good, thank you. Ciao. That was Noel Mifsud principal of Christian Brothers College in Adelaide. For more information on the college and the Antarctic Station, check out the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave a nice review. It helps others to find the podcast and helps me to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let me know about an experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website. Join us next week as we explore more great opportunities for experiential education.